0: More and more people today are thinking, hey, I don't just want to earn a paycheck or a title. I want to do work that's meaningful, or at the very least, to be making progress towards it. On this episode, Scott Barlow returns to show us what we can do for ourselves and others to discover meaningful work. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 600. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. I've had many conversations on the podcast over the years about the importance of meaningful work. I'm thinking specifically of the work that's come from Gallup and some of our guests from Gallup over the years talking about the importance. And the drive that so many of us have to find work that's meaningful. And yet, how do we do that? How do we create that? Today I'm so glad to welcome a guest and a friend who has been doing this not only in his own work, but more importantly for so many other leaders, given his work with Happen to your career. And I'm so excited to be able to lean in and help us all to discover not only how to find meaningful work for ourselves, but perhaps more importantly, how do we help find meaningful work for others, the people on our teams? I'm so glad to welcome back to the show, Scott Anthony Barlow. Scott wants you to find work that you love. He is the CEO of Happen to Your Career and host of the Happen to Your Career podcast, which has been listened to over 3 million times across 159 countries and is the largest career change podcast in the world. As a former HR leader, Scott has interviewed over 2,000 people for jobs and rejects the way most organizations choose to do work. He's a nerd for self-development, human behavior, and ice hockey. And he's also the author of the book, Happen to Your Career, An Unconventional Approach to Career Change and Meaningful Work. In addition to all those things, he's
1: also a dear friend. Scott, welcome back to the show. Dave, thank you for having me back. I, I know I mentioned this right before we hit record, but I'm quite excited for this conversation because even though you and I talk probably on average, like four days a week or so. I don't think we've talked about some of the things that we get to talk about today. So that's, I'm quite looking forward to that.
0: It's true. I learned new things about you reading this book. And as you mentioned, we talk almost every weekday morning and we have a five to 10 minute call between the two of us where we set up our day we talk about the three things we're focusing on that day and it's great for accountability and so i know way more about you than i know about the average guest who's on the show and yet i learned some things about you reading this book and getting into the details of it that you know relates so much to finding meaningful work and so perhaps we start there with your story you write in the book when i was in college I owned a painting business for three years that paid for my wife's engagement ring and almost all of my college tuition and expenses. At the height of my business, I had 25 people working for me, and it was really profitable. But when I graduated college, I sold my business and took a corporate job that I was not excited about, where I worked 80 to 90 hours a week for less money.
1: What caused you to do that? I would love to say that it was 100% intentional and strategic and it was all part of this grand plan in reality though it was because i i thought that's what you did yeah i thought that what you did to be successful in life was that you go to college and you get a great job and you get promoted a bunch of times And then you earn a bunch of money and then boom, you're happy and you're in a better life and everything that goes with it. So that's, that's what I did. I sold, literally sold the business, sold the trucks, sold all of the tools and equipment and everything along with it. And then I ended up accepting a job that I was only mildly excited about. And it was this regional manager type of position. And I I moved my brand new bride at the time, Alyssa. Now we've been married for over 20 years to, you go to work in Portland, Oregon. And that's, that's where it started out. This job didn't end well, did it? As it turns out, no, it did not. So here's the thing, Dave. I, I knew about a month into it that it probably was not a great fit. But I thought that if I just keep on plugging along, that it would potentially get better. And I also thought that that's what you did in the real world of work. So I continued to stay for another year. And during that time, it got really bad. It was a continuous 70 to 80-hour weeks where I was constantly anxious. I was stressed all the time. At some point, I started experiencing panic attacks for the first time. And by this point, too, I was, I was medicating with food. So I gained almost 50 pounds. So not a, not a great state of health at all. There were so many things that were not great for me at this time coming from this really terrible fit. But I thought I had to do something. so. I ended up calling my boss and saying, hey, I need to meet with you. Uh, I need to talk about something pretty important. And I told him, hey, I think I've made a mistake. I think I made a mistake in accepting this job. And he asked quite a few questions. He listened really well. And then afterwards, I thought like, wow, this is, I mean, why didn't I do this a year ago? You know, I, I thought, okay, well, maybe we can figure out a way to think for things to get better. And three weeks later, he fired me which was a surprise. This was this was a pivotal moment for me. I remember driving away thinking like I can't ever do this again. This is this is absolutely ridiculous. And again, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. But what came out of that is I made a promise to myself that I had to figure out how this worked. I had to figure out how to do work differently and that's <laughs> that experience is a big part of what led up to me starting Happen to your career roughly 10 years ago now.
0: You share a bunch of your story in the book. And the thing that really struck me, especially from that regional manager job that you write in the book is, yeah, the part I didn't tell you about my story is that I had a great job, great pay, great people. I worked with great training and opportunities. There were many wonderful things about it. My good friend who also worked at the company loved it. He stayed around an additional 15 years and eventually became the president. Even though it was a great fit for him, the company was most definitely not a great fit for me. And I read that and I thought, you know, it's so interesting how it was such the wrong fit for you for so many reasons that you articulated. And yet someone else you were, had a close relationship with, it was, it was a perfect fit in so many ways. And it, it it's interesting how we do get really caught up in this is a good company, this is a bad company, this is a good opportunity. And yet we don't really think about it, I think, from... Standpoint of what are the priorities for us, and you're really big on on helping people
1: to declare priorities for what's important in your work now, right? absolutely and, and if you really think about it, that example that you're talking about, my friend who i I talked with just the other day, he's no longer with that same company, but yeah, he was with them for a very long time, loved it. He had such a wonderful experience with them, and a big part of it was. What he wanted and what created an amazing fit for him was very different from what I wanted and what created an amazing fit for me. So same company, we literally were in the same role, same role for several years and obviously vastly different experience. All that said, it really comes down to, if you don't understand what creates an amazing fit for you, you're unlikely to be able to find an amazing fit in the world. and. Very often, when we're working with clients that happen to your career, we put it in terms of do you know what extraordinary looks like for you?" So one of the ways that we begin to figure out what extraordinary looks like is by helping people declare their priorities and and let's put this in context a little bit here. So a lot of people come to us thinking, "Hey, you know, what I'm currently doing is Maybe it has been a wonderful experience for me, but it's no longer a great experience for me. So I need to find out what is a great fit. I need to find out what is next. And they're looking for some level of clarity. Now, that's something I've heard many times. But when we're having this conversation, a lot of times how they think clarity works is they think that they're going to step one, go and find clarity. And then that is going to immediately cause them to know their direction. And then many of these people say the same thing. It's like, if I only knew my direction, if I only knew my direction, then I could absolutely pursue it. I could do the rest. Like I can figure out the rest. Mm -hmm. However, in reality, clarity works differently than what we all think it does. It works by us declaring our priorities first. The act of declaring our priorities is what creates clarity. And you and I, before we hit the record button, we were talking about what are the roots of Declare and clarity. They both actually have the same root word. Yeah. And (laughs) strangely, that root clarier means the action of making something clear. So when you talk about clarity, you get clarity from declaring what is most important to you, which takes courage. That is something most people are unwilling to do or have not done necessarily and are not used to doing within their lives. So it's a very, very different way to think about it when we're talking about what creates a level of clarity. And there's an element of movement in there, too. I mean, I
0: think about the analogy of a GPS or a compass, like they become useful when you're moving, right? So if you're willing to declare and have that act of movement, that then is going to actually be the thing that's going to surface the clarity versus trying to read a ton of as many books as you can or to just kind of wait for that clarity to land. It's it's not as likely that that's going to
1: happen, right? Yeah, and this is so this is something that's actually fascinating to me. This is a conversation we've had probably hundreds of times over where people are very and I've definitely thought this too, but people will come into the conversation thinking that if I can just make time and space to be able to get away like in the form of, say a sabbatical or in the form of being able to travel or in the form of being able to get away in one way or another, then that will cause me to arrive at the answers. You know, I'll give you a quick example here. We were working with a woman by the name of Christy, and that's exactly what she had felt. She'd had a wonderful you know twenty year career. In communications and marketing. And it was really pretty great for her for a long time. However, for the last year prior to that, she had been pretty burnt out and realized that she needed a change and felt like, hey, I I just need to get away so I can get some space. And what she ended up doing, she took her entire family to Europe for a little over six months and came back and realized here's what I've learned I've learned that I like travel. And I like wine, but I'm not any further along in the progression for understanding what I really want out of work and the other areas of my life. Mm,
0: yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And that maybe that's even a lead into some of the things that I know you really are intentional about with clients, which is experimenting. Tell me about experimenting and, and what's, what's, the, what's the drive behind that?
1: First of all, let's let's go back here to being able to declare our priorities. One of the things that we often do with our clients that we find is really helpful is we'll go through and we'll help them based on based on research in terms of what we know humans need, all humans need from their work, which you know a couple examples like autonomy and flexibility. But here's here's not necessarily a catch, but it's something that's important to know. Even if we do a great job incorporating what we know about what humans need from work and what creates more fulfilling work for the average human and then do a great job defining you know what i need from what i need from other relationships and people that i'm working with what i need that helps my quality of life ranging from finances to any other element it's still at the end of the day it is a hypothesis it's an educated guess and since it's a hypothesis that means that we need to go and we need to test it out so that's part of the reason for experiments but the other thing here, <laughs> Dave, is that when people are thinking about career change in any way whatsoever, and thinking about moving from one type of role or one type of opportunity to another one, it often feels risky. And I find that if we do a little bit of upfront extra extra work and extra effort, just a tiny bit upfront with the intent to experiment and learn what we really actually need, are we heading down the right path? Is the hypothesis that we've created in fact right for us? Then that tiny bit of effort gives us realizations, and it causes us to realize that, hey, maybe what I thought I wanted, maybe since I wanted to you know, move into, I don't know, product management leadership or whatever whatever it is that I, I think that I want, I can actually test it out and then avoid much of that risk that comes along with just simply making a career change. So that's part of the idea behind career experiments. How do I, how do I, with a small amount of effort, avoid much of the risk or many years that might come with just simply moving on, on that decision without testing.
0: It's interesting how you and I, in some ways do very different work. You're working with folks on helping them to really discover that clarity and next step in their careers. And of course, my work is around leadership development and that skill development. And yet, the tactics that we are encouraging for the people we're working with are very similar around movement and experiments and trying things out and small steps versus trying to make big, massive changes. Because it's really hard when you're trying to change your behavior. Which, of course, if you're thinking about taking on a new role, a new career, a new job, a new industry, whatever it is, that that's that's a behavior change. Leading differently is a behavior change. It's really hard to make massive change all at once. And it's so much easier to take a step, to experiment a bit. And some of the things you mentioned in the book, I was looking back and thinking about my career and like, wow, you know, actually some of these I did early on. And one of them that leapt out at me was one of the things that you encourage folks to do is is to take on an experiment called the volunteer. And you did this a bit in
1: your own career journey of volunteering with Sherm at
0: one point, didn't you?
1: I did. Yeah. I've done this quite a few different times, but I, I love that example with Sherm because I was at a point in time where I, I knew that I wanted to leave the organization that I was currently with at the time I was doing HR with Target. A lot of people are familiar with Target. They're the you know, company you walk into for avocados and toilet paper and then walk out with like $300 worth of <laughs> all kinds of other things. Sounds like our However, family. Exactly. And so I, I knew that what was a wonderful opportunity with them was no longer as good for me. And I was starting to experiment with changes. So here's what I did. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in HR, but I knew that being in a new area at the time, I needed to build a variety of relationships. So I went ahead and joined up with SHRM and went to the local chapter. And in this particular case, you know, it's a volunteer organization. If you're not familiar with SHRM, it stands for the Society of Human Resource Management. They have local chapters all over the world, similar to many other professional organizations. And they always need volunteers. Many volunteer organizations, you can just count on that in one way or another, they almost always need volunteers. So I offered my services, asked where I could help out. And the really fun thing that ended up happening is I started to get to know the people there very, very quickly and ended up accepting a seat on the the board. And then that caused me over the course of the next year to get to know many people in a huge number of organizations, like 60 plus organizations around the area that I really wanted to be in. And many of these were decision makers, but also it allowed me to be able to have conversations just as I was prepping for the next event, or as I was being the person who let people in the door. It allowed me to have these small conversations to learn about what their roles were like, what their organizations were like, and assess that against what I thought I wanted. Well, at the same time, just building really wonderful, fun, organic relationships just by helping out. You've done this too, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I had a similar
0: story, although mine was a little less professional-focused and more personal-focused in that I had left one of my early jobs. I moved to California from the Midwest, and I was three or four years here, and then I left my role. And the only people I knew on the West Coast of the United States where the people I worked with. And all those relationships were, I mean, some of those stayed after I left, but a lot of those relationships kind of ended pretty quickly as soon as I departed the organization. And I ended up, I don't even remember, I ran into a friend or somehow started a connection with, oh, I think it was maybe through Toastmasters actually. And I heard of an organization called the JCS, and I joined up with them. And it's a very similar story to you. I got to know people and there was an opportunity to serve on the board, and I jumped in, and I ended up being the membership chair for the organization. And by the way, if you ever join an association for anyone listening, if you have the opportunity to get involved with the membership activities in the association, it forces you to meet everybody because the role you're volunteering for is helping people come in, understand the organization, understand the benefits of membership. And all of a sudden, I went from knowing almost nobody to having hundreds and hundreds of people that I was having regular conversations with, I was meeting across industries, and that opened up so many wonderful opportunities, even though the focus was, it was a service organization and a social organization, but it actually ended up opening career opportunities for me, eventually led to Carnegie, in fact. And it was really just a, hey, I'm going to volunteer and jump in and help, and Being involved in that membership capacity mean that it meant that I just started building relationships with so many
1: people naturally. And it was so much fun. I think that's a really wonderful story for a variety of different reasons. And I think a lot of people hear about this volunteer type of experiment and they think, well, I can I can go do volunteer. Like (laughs) there's so many places that need volunteers, but not every volunteer situation makes a wonderful experiment. First of all, if we go back to what makes a just really fantastic experiment overall. Remember, we're trying to test a hypothesis here in terms of what I think I want. Is that actually what I want? And then I think the thing that you did really wonderfully in yours is it is an action. It gets you out of the realm of thinking about something and into the doing. And then when you're in that type of state, it allows you to be able to get feedback that you would not otherwise have been able to get. Now if we're running with that predisposition in mind then another example of a, an experiment that you can run is something we call the social goldilocks and I'll give you I'll give you an idea of how this works the social Goldilocks, first of all, you can think about it as, well, the story of Goldilocks where you know Goldilocks goes and she tries out all the chairs. This one's too big. This one's too small. This one's just right. And the porridge, you know, this one is too hot. This one's too cold. This one tastes too much like porridge, all the things. And the idea here is similar. How can I try out a lot of things, a lot of ideas, a lot of roles, a lot of opportunities, a lot of companies, whatever it is, very quickly in order to find what is more just right for you and doesn't Mm -hmm. taste like porridge. So if that's the case, we can apply this instead of doing informational interviews, which so far I, I don't find that too many people are super pumped about doing informational interviews. However, many people are willing to help, whether it's people you already know or even people you don't know necessarily, as long as you're able to put it in the right context and making it easy for them to help. So let's take the example of Laura. Laura we got to meet her roughly 5 years ago or so and when we initially met her she was she was a leader in sustainability industry she had a team of I think like 12 people at the time and she was having the problem where she had flown up the ranks been promoted 3 or, three or 4 times over over an 8 year period and had enjoyed her work and then, now that she had this large team, was not excited about it. She was no longer challenged. She didn't feel like she was growing. She had just recently had her first child and, you know, taken some time off and come back and realized, this isn't lining up anymore with what I want." So she recognized that and wanted to do something about it, but she really didn't necessarily know where she wanted to go. So she she had a couple ideas in mind. She thought, well, maybe I'm interested in product management, maybe I'm interested in innovation. So we said, "Okay, Laura, well, you know these things or suspect these things. So let's test them out in the real world. How can we do that?" Here's what we had Flora do. We actually had her be able to identify about I think it was about like 15 or 17 different people in a variety of these roles and opportunities in innovation, in product management, and in two others that she suspected she might be interested in. And then she actually reached out in a variety of different ways. Some of them were through friends of friends. Some of them were you know, emailing people cold and saying, hey, I, I'm really interested in what you do. I'm going through a career change right now and trying to figure out If product management is right for me, would you be willing to chat for 15 minutes and share a little bit about what you love and what you don't love about product management? And what she found is that a a crazy amount of people were willing to say yes and take 15 minutes of their time. So she had had many conversations where she got all of this feedback very quickly over just a couple of months. Here's what she learned, though she learned that. She didn't want anything to do with innovation. (laughs) She thought she did. Uh, But if she had just simply made a career change into that and done all that work and effort, and maybe it took her months to make that change, she would have arrived and realized, wow, this is not the clarity I was looking for. This is not the place where I wanted to go. So by doing that, she likely ended up saving herself years of going a direction that really wasn't that wonderful for her.
0: We've been looking at this through the lens of the individual. And of course, so many of us in this community lead others. And I think it is, it's always, there's a bit of fear, I think, for many leaders to have conversations about career with the people that are on their teams, colleagues, because I think that we often think, oh gosh, you know, if I open up the door to talking about career, like, what if this career isn't a good fit? What if the role isn't a good fit right now for this person and I'm accelerating? their departure from the organization by opening that door. And I I think mostly that's probably a myth. I think the people I know who actually do a really good job at this, if anything, do a better job of connecting well with their employees and retaining folks because they know what's important to them. And there's an opportunity here to do a bit of experimenting from the standpoint of a person leading of encouraging the people on their team to experiment a bit too. If we look at it through that lens, What's a starting point for a leader to be thinking about how they might bring this kind of experimentation into the career conversations they're having internally?
1: I think that even if you have a really wonderful leader and you have a really open open environment for the most part, still I find that many people don't feel comfortable sharing that information with with their leaders. Now We have, this is going on like literally right now in our organization. We have a team member, his name is Philip, and he's been with us for about four years. He's a phenomenal human being. And we've realized that what he wants and what he needs is probably likely to be outside of our organization. So one of the ways that I'm supporting him in doing that is we, first of all, have had him create his own ideal career profile and his own hypothesis of what he believes that he wants. So there's there's been you know, countless hours on his part that have helped him get to that point to have this guess of what he wants and what he needs. Now, he suspects that he really wants to be in talent development and talent talent management, but he's never worked directly in talent development, talent management, that ty- those type of areas before. So he's actually executing his own social Goldilocks So this is a discussion I have with him every single week, literally every single week. I'm checking in on some of his personal goals and his growth goals, both professional and otherwise. And this is just a part of our regular conversation. Am I really sad that he'll no longer be working here? Yeah, absolutely. Do I feel like it's fully the right thing to do? Yeah, absolutely. Will it make a space for someone else who we can find that really it is the right fit for them to be here? Yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think it's also maybe important to point out that just because someone's experimenting doesn't mean they're going to necessarily go somewhere else. We've mentioned a couple of those examples. I was thinking back on my Carnegie career. There was one point that I was thinking about making a transition early on at Carnegie. And I started into a conversation with my manager at the time, and we started thinking about well, he had asked some of these questions you've asked, and we ended up experimenting with setting up a bit of a one-on-one coaching program within our Carnegie office to for me to go out and do that with clients, because that was what I had an interest in at the time. And that little experiment went about a year and the experiment itself wasn't great it turned out it didn't work super well with our i mean the clients benefited personally but it wasn't it didn't end up being a great business line for us for a whole bunch of reasons and also i discovered along the way that while i enjoyed the relationships i didn't get as much of the energy around the one-on-one as i did working with groups and it actually helped me to learn a lot more and ultimately it resulted in some other things shifting for me within my role and I stayed with Carnegie for another I think it was 10 12 years after that and part of the reason was is that I had the opportunity to experiment and do things along the way and got a lot of freedom to do that and that was one of the reasons I stayed and I'm so glad that I did it ended up serving me so well so I think that there's it's helpful to think about experiment of not necessarily that someone's going to experiment like you described with Philip by the way thank you for sharing that that you know he mo- most likely will move on Sometimes that experimenting can be just the thing that helps the person to realize, here's a great opportunity in a great relationship to do more with inside the organization and get creative that opens up new doors that neither party could see in the first place. Scott, I really appreciate you inviting us, challenging us to think about this through the lens of experiments. I think that so often we don't think about going down that route. There's so much more in the book. We are we are highlighting a couple of pages on the experiments. There's so much more. So if this has been helpful, to you, I encourage you to pick up the book, Happen to Your Career, An Unconventional Approach to Career Change and Meaningful Work. And also one of the resources that we've passed along to many folks in our audience over the years, his eight-day course at, is it it
1: figureitout.co? Say that? That That is figureitout.co. Yeah, we've had
0: so many people that have utilized that over the years, and it's just a helpful starting place for starting to think about some of these questions that will lead to your next experiment, not only for yourself, but for others. Scott, thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate your work, and uh, what an honor to have you as a friend. But also being able to just challenge all of us to think about our careers more effectively, of finding meaningful work. What a privilege!
1: Thank you, Dave. I I really appreciate it too. Thank you for the opportunity, and thank you for thank you for your friendship.
0: If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 294, How to Actually Move Numbers. Chris McChesney was my guest on that episode, and we talked about the distinction between leading indicators and lagging indicators in organizations and how most of us think about progress. A lagging indicator, of course, is the things that we're used to seeing on formal reports. P&L numbers, revenue numbers, customer satisfaction scores, net promoter scores, employee engagement numbers, many of the metrics that are important for us to watch and be conscious of from a management standpoint, of course, super critical. And yet, we don't often think about the leading indicators because the lagging indicators are great, except that once we see them, often those numbers are done. It's history. The leading indicators are the things we can do each day, each week, that are actually going to move us forward and to affect change. Both are critical. Chris talks in episode 294 about the distinction between the two and how we can do an even better job as leaders of thinking about those leading indicators. I'd also recommend episode 370, Three Steps to Great Career Conversations. Russ Lairway was my guest. Nobody has a better model for how to step-by-step over a course of several conversations to talk with employees genuinely and holistically about where they're heading in their careers. And then what you and them can do right now in their role today to help them to move forward on that. Just a great compliment to this conversation with Scott today. If you're looking for a tactical step-by-step how to begin some of those conversations, episode 370 I'd recommend to you. And then finally, I recommend episode 561, How to Reduce Burnout. Jennifer Moss was my guest on that episode, and we talked about the topic of burnout, which, of course, we're hearing a lot about these days. We're going to talk about it more on the show coming up as well, too. And one of the points that Jennifer made— in that conversation and from the research is that the common thought many of us have when we feel like we're experiencing burnout or we are working with someone or leading someone who's experiencing burnout is, you know, they just need some time off. We need some time off. If we could just take a week off or two weeks off and go on vacation, that that will reduce or substantially eliminate the burnout that we're feeling. And one of the things she points out is yes, of course vacation's so important for all of us. And it's not often the answer to the question of burnout. Often we return, or that person returns, and we're in the same situation we were. There's many other ways that are more effective at being able to address out burnout, address burnout rather specifically. Episode 561 is a starting place for you, if perhaps you're experiencing that, or folks in your organization are right now. Uh, of course, all of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. And speaking of past episodes, this today is episode 600. It's a huge milestone for coaching coaching for leaders, for me, for all of you. Uh, Some of you have just picked up this episode for the first time today. Uh, It's your first episode. Thank you, if that's you. Uh, Some of you have been listening over the last year or two, and some of you have been listening and been with me since the very beginning in 2011 when I started and have listened to all 600 episodes. We have a whole bunch of folks in our listening community who fall in that category. Uh, I want to stop for a moment and just say thank you. If you have ever recommended this show, an episode to anybody, a friend, a family member, a colleague. That is the greatest compliment you can give me to my work and to our work. Thank you for doing that. If you have ever reviewed the podcast on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or given us a rating on any of the public directories, thank you for taking the time to do that. And perhaps most importantly, if you've ever taken anything from one of these conversations that I've had, whether it's been from today's something recent or something that was years ago, and you've put it into practice, and it has helped you to lead better, it has helped to build the joy inside your organization, it has helped to move the numbers in a positive way, it has helped you to make a bigger impact, and has helped you to be more connected with the people you lead. That's perhaps the best gift of all to me. Thank you if you have done that in any way. You know, I think all of us have had, well, I shouldn't say all of us, but I think many of us have had a poor manager at one point or another along the way. And I think almost all of us know someone who right now has a poor manager. And you see how much that impacts a person's life of having someone that they work with every day who's not leading effectively, who's not being coach-like, who's not listening well, who's not having career conversations, as we talked about today, and what a negative impact that can have on a person's, certainly their work life, but it impacts every other area of their life too. And on the other side, if We can, all of us, discipline ourselves to be learning and growing and being more coach-like and taking the time to listen well and to engage people effectively and to have an eye on their careers and how we can support people. What a wonderful gift that is to the people that we have the privilege to lead. I think that I have the best job in the world. I get to have the privilege of talking to so many wonderful experts who have dedicated their lives to helping us all to get better, and then, in turn, to be able to come here each week to, uh, to you and to share these conversations, and then to hear from so many of you each week, our members, our listeners, who then come back and share with me what you've used and share notes and stories. I am so grateful for you. Thank you for the privilege to do this. And not only do I plan to keep going, but I'm always thinking of how can I help more? And speaking of Scott, uh, Scott was really gracious a year ago to come on and interview me back on episode 541, I'll link it up in the episode notes, on 10 years of Coaching for Leaders. We did a deep dive uh, on just my journey over the last 10, 11 years on what it's been like hosting the show and what I've learned along the way, and also what I've changed my mind on, the question that I often ask of others, of course. And someone asked me recently, uh, one of our members said, hey, you said a year ago on that episode that one of the things you were changing your mind on was that you've spent a lot of time uh, getting the word out about so many of the work of the experts and the perspective, but that you've gained a lot of perspective and that you realize that more people would like to hear from you directly, your experiences, uh, see more from you, see more direction, see more writing. And he asked me, well, what's going on with that? Has that evolved on anything? Has uh, has your thinking moved into action on that? I so appreciated the question. And the short answer is, yeah, a lot is happening behind the scenes. And more is coming in addition to all the resources we already offer. Stay tuned for details on that. In the coming months. In the meantime, I hope you'll take my invitation today, if you haven't already, to join our free membership at coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to that entire library now of 600 episodes, searchable by topic. I'm always making the invitation. Go find the thing that's most relevant to you right now. Maybe that does begin back at episode one, but more likely, it's beginning at what you're thinking about today and what you're struggling with, perhaps. Go find that episode inside of our library. We've made it really easy to find what's relevant to you, to be able to search the entire library by topic area. Uh, over those last 600 episodes you can set up your free membership that will give you access to all of that at coachingforleaders.com plus a ton more resources inside the free membership once you get in there make sure you click around there's a lot of resources that you can find including my library all our interview night, notes rather and a ton more coachingforleaders.com to get access to that. Next week, I'm glad to welcome to the show John Clifton. John is the CEO of Gallup. And we're going to be talking about the insights from Gallup on addressing unhappiness. It's such a critical issue right now. And of course, a next step in this conversation we had today with Scott. Join me for that conversation with John next week. Have a great week and see you back on Monday.